Hello again. Uh, we are doing a little bit different order this, this morning, obviously. Uh, we're jumping into a new series today called Weaponized. And um, I've been kind of excited about this. I, I love, um, I probably enjoy uh, the names and the focuses of our sermons as much as anybody, but I kind of like this idea that we're going into today. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to kind of think about your own life because this is going to be talking about you personally, your relationship with the Lord and uh, how you are prepared for the world. You know, if there's a word probably that uh, has exploded on the cultural scene over the last few years, it's the word weaponized. And uh, the, the, proper dim- uh, the primary definition in the dictionary of weaponized is adapted for use as a weapon. And obviously it comes from military use, a military term, right? Vehicles are weaponized and planes and rockets and missiles and drones and robots and everything else now... Uh, they're able to put a weapon on them in some way so they become more effective. But the word has also, as you know, probably broken out of military usage as well and become a part of our cultural language. Anything can be weaponized. Uh, The government can be weaponized or um, media. The media can be weaponized. Social media is weaponized. Marketing campaigns, even memes uh, on the social media can be weaponized in some way. But the thought behind it is that the, there's damage that you can do to uh, someone else. You can hurt someone in, you know, through a weapon, through a, a statement, through an accusation, whatever it may be. Uh, you can describe, destroy a person, a group, or their reputation. And to be honest with you, most of the usage that we hear today is in the form of a negative point of view, trying to destroy someone. But what if we took the word weaponized, and what if we turned that around a little bit and use it in a positive way, with the idea being of our lives being made into a cultural, spiritual assault weapon for good. We're doing good, not bad. We're trying to do good. Specifically, you and I would be weaponized as a part of a force for everything that's good and true and right. That your life would be locked and loaded and armed and equipped with spiritual power and energy that not even Satan himself could overcome. And by the way, that is what Jesus intended for the church to be. Matthew chapter 16, it said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of hell itself will not overcome the power and the strength of the church. It sounds like Jesus had a pretty good plan in mind for the church to be weaponized against the enemy, Satan, that we all faced. Now, that was God's plan. The reality is that if you're trying to live the Christian life, you're in a spiritual battle, and if you're like me, you probably don't feel very powerful and weaponized most of the time. Do you really view yourself or even the church as a whole in the world as fear, a force to be reckoned with, that we really are powerful and strong? We'd like to think of ourselves as warriors who can defend our faith and maybe even go on the offense and and recover some ground for Christ. But in reality, most of us feel pretty helpless in the face of opposition and a pagan world today. I mean, we feel like the world's winning. Uh, We feel like that we are retreating and we're being backed into a corner. In fact, if you were uh, a few, a couple weeks ago, you read the article that said that Christianity would be in the minority in just a very few short years. So what they're saying is that people, either uh, other religions or perhaps more importantly, no religion at all, would be the primary designation that people had. Christianity would not be the majority anymore. That's discouraging for us to hear. We're, we know that in the past, Christianity has been the largest religion in the country. 
So we feel like we're losing. We feel like we're backed into a corner. But let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the phrase, the best defense is a good offense? You probably heard that in sporting, right? You're probably, you know, thinking about, okay, planning our offense. We're going to take it to the other team. It's used in sports, but really it's a military term that you are proactively attacking the opponent or your enemy, that's the best way to protect yourself since they're going to be preoccupied with defending themselves and they can't stage an attack of their own on you. Wouldn't it be great instead of us hearing about Christianity declining and being attacked, wouldn't it be great to hear about it increasing and having sin on the run? Wouldn't it be great if there was a powerful movement of love and the love of God in our world, and we didn't hear about Christianity going down, but instead of it going up. I think that's what Jesus had in mind for his church. And can you imagine yourself as being weaponized as a Christian? That is living a life armed with God's power and his purpose and mission for your life. I mean, that would be an exciting way to think about life, that you have been empowered to go forth and do something great for God. Well, we're going to spend a couple of weeks here talking about this, about how to live life in that way, because I believe it is possible. And all of that begins today, we're going to talk about by suiting up, that you have to have what the Bible calls the armor of God to put on, the armor of God. Now, I'm not talking about a traditional armor, all metal and clanky and awkward suit of armor, but I'm talking about a layer of protection that you and I need to survive the attacks that are going to come to every one of us. I'm talking about something that's extremely practical. I'm talking about weapons that will allow you to go on the offensive as well, taking ground for Christ. That we're not just supposed to hide and circle the wagons, if you will, and hope that we can stay safe, but we're supposed to go forth. That's what God intended for us to do. Let me read from the message, Ephesians chapter 6. It says, God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. I don't know if you've ever read that scripture. That's his from the message version. I don't know if you've read that or not, but it kind of gives us the idea that we are locked in a battle, that we're in a real fight that sometimes we're not aware of. I mean, we all have conflict in life, don't we? We have conflict with family and with work and with our neighbors, and maybe we have moral or political beliefs that divide us sometimes, but you need to know that you are in a war that it literally will be a life or death finish to the end, and not just your physical life, but even more importantly, your spiritual life. That you have an enemy, the devil, and all of his demons or angels, we'll talk about them in a moment, all of them are opposing you. You are outgunned on your own. Now, you may not feel like you're in battle. You may well say, I don't know, Randy, I have no idea what you're talking about this morning. But let me say, if you feel that way, that is part of the deception. Part of the deception. Can you imagine going out and you were in a battle that you didn't even know existed? If you don't know what exists, you, you need, probably need to examine where you are spiritually because Satan may be deceiving you about the whole thing. The conflict is real. The war is all around us every day, and the war is even inside of us sometimes. It's not just an external war. Sometimes it's inside of us as well, and it's a winner-take-all fight, and the stakes could not be higher. Could not be higher. Now, let me just say this as well, that we all deal with spiritual battles every day of our life. But there are some people who put themselves in greater danger by actually flirting with the occult and witchcraft. 
Now, those things we hear about them today, they're not new at all. In fact, they're even in the Bible. The Bible speaks a lot about witchcraft and the occult. They've been around since the beginning of time, just in different forms. The Bible condemns all forms of witchcraft, sorcery, spiritualism, and occult practices. And that includes things like astrology, uh, tarot cards, psychic readings, Ouija boards, horoscopes, all those things. All those things are trafficking with Satan and his demons, and they are dangerous. No one, especially a Christian, should ever mess with them because when you do that, you open up your life and you open up avenues for demonic influence and activity in your life. You are not equipped. We are not prepared, able, should never ever be engaged in any of those things because it simply opens up avenues to where Satan can speak in your heart and your mind that you cannot defend by yourself. So let me just say, avoid all those things. But the Bible also speaks clearly about evil uh, forces and evil beings that inhabit the spiritual realm. In fact, the Bible says that primarily there is a spiritual world that operates beyond our plane that is more real than the physical world that we live in today. That's our world is all we know, right? We see the limit, but there is a spiritual world that's much greater than that. And this world that uh, the spiritual world is inhabited and the battle is fought among angels. Angels are fascinating. You know, uh, we could do a whole study on angels, but let me tell you five basic things to know about angels. First of all, that angels are beings created by God. They are beings created by God. They are not God. They are not equal to God in any way. They have intelligence and uh, they are free. Uh, they have free will to obey God or to disobey God, as we'll see in a few moments. Secondly, angels are not human beings. They are spirits. They are not humans like us. They're not limited to physical bodies, but like us, when they interact with humans, they usually assume a human body. For example, uh, the Bible talks about several different times where angels are seen, and angels actually uh, seem to be uh, just a normal person. I know of several stories. In fact, I have my own story where I believe that I was, uh, my life was probably saved by an angel. And I've heard a lot of others uh, just seem to be just a regular person. So angels are not humans, but when they interact with us, they usually assume a human body. Stories about that in the Bible. Number three, they're powerful. They're powerful. Stories of them overpowering human beings are, are rampant throughout the Bible, wrestling with human beings, and they always win. In 2 Kings, God sent one angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian warriors. One angel killed him overnight. He wasn't injured. That's how powerful he really was. In the book of Revelation, when it speaks of the world being destroyed at the end of time, it's done basically by seven angels as they carry out the commands of God. Angels are incredibly powerful. Number four, there are a lot of angels. There are a lot of angels. You know, we, don't, we are introduced to a few angels in the Bible. Uh, Michael and Gabriel are a couple that come to mind quickly. But the Bible speaks of thousands upon thousands, even 10,000 times 10,000, which I believe is 100 million. So there are a lot of angels that are out there uh, in the spiritual realm. And then lastly, there are different kinds of angels. There are different kinds of angels. There are cherubim and seraphim. Uh, that we read about in the Bible. Also, you read about uh, the most powerful angels are archangels. And all of these angels that are mentioned, these three groups are good angels. And then there are bad angels as well, uh, because angels have freedom of choice uh, to obey God or rebel. Some of them at one point, we believe before the creation of the world, some of them foolishly chose to rebel against God. 
and they were thrown out of heaven. And these angels, being spiritual beings, are called demons, and they are led by a fallen angel who probably was an archangel himself, who rebelled against God and seemingly led about a third of all angels with him in rebellion to God. And we know that being as Satan, right? He's also called the devil, Lucifer, the adversary, the prince of darkness, several other terms as well. And Satan in our world today has been mocked and made fun of and underestimated. But let me tell you, he is seriously evil. He's not a joke. He's not the guy that wears uh, red underwear and carries a pitchfork. That's not him at all. Satan is seriously evil. And that's why we're not to trifle with him. We're not to let our minds go into an area where he could have greater influence than he currently has. Uh, He is not the brother of Jesus. He's not the equal of Jesus. He's not God. He's not even close to God. He doesn't have any of the attributes of God. God has three attributes. He's omniscient. God knows everything. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And Satan does not have those traits. However, he does have freedom and opportunity to roam the earth and watch and listen to us. So he is very active in our world, he and his demons. He knows a lot about you, and he knows how to tempt you in your weaknesses. Why should we take him seriously? Because Jesus took him seriously. Jesus warned against him and about letting him uh, deceive us and, uh, and letting us, uh, him lie to us. And the apostle Peter did as well. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour So Satan spends his time and his demons trying to find people to lie to, to destroy, to murder, to hurt, to destroy relationships, everything horrible in your life, and ultimately to destroy your faith. But one day, the Bible assures us Satan and his angels will be judged, and they will be cast into the lake of fire that was prepared for them, and along with all those who reject Jesus. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a devil worshiper to go to hell You just have to let him convince you and deceive you into thinking that you don't have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So there is a a real battle going on. You need to be warned, need to be prepared to resist Satan's temptations. And sometimes Satan's temptations are as subtle as you don't have to do anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's probably the most subtle temptation that we have today. Whereas Jesus said, you must decide to come and follow me. But Ephesians chapter 6 probably gives us the greatest ability or the greatest impact, information about how we can arm ourselves and prepare for the battle. Paul says there, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul says you need to be prepared and God has equipped you to be able to resist Satan with this armor of God. Satan is a master of deception and the only way to really defend yourself from him is to be suited up with the armor of God. So I want you to look with me, look at the six different pieces, these specific pieces of equipment that God offers us in the spiritual conflict. And these are described, you might notice, these are described as what a warrior would wear in that day. So think about a Roman soldier. Obviously, that's the context in which it was written. So that's what it's going to look like in that day. But as I was thinking about this, I thought these are amazingly relevant today 
to what a soldier might wear or a police officer might wear, protection, uh, to be able to defend themselves against harm as well. So let's look at these six things real quick. First of all, Paul says, be prepared and buckled on the belt of truth. You know, a belt is a pretty good piece of, of, of equipment when you're in battle. I mean, think about a soldier or a policeman today. Think about their belt. Not only does it hold their pants up when they're in battle, but maybe more importantly, it also has all the weapons that hang on it. I mean, think about what would be on a policeman's belt. There would be a gun, there would be a knife maybe, a baton, mace, taser, any number of other weapons they might have, and ammunition for their weapon. There's a lot of things that goes on a belt. Well, they didn't have that in that day, but their belt was important to their battle plans and being able to fight. And so Paul says, had the belt of truth. The belt of truth. You know, we, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about my truth and your truth. And we said, you know, those things are kind of uh, not dependable because they're not reliable. We need truth. We need real truth. When you go into battle, you want something reliable, fixed, and firm. You don't want experimental truth. You don't want just your opinion. And so the Bible says, be buckled up with the belt of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14. If you hold to my teaching, he said, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So here's the thing. Jesus is the truth. Satan is a liar. He is a father of liars. And when you live in a world that's full of moral and spiritual lies, you need to be wrapped in truth. You need to have truth around you so you know truth. You're bound up. You're tied with truth, the belt of truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would be strapped to uh, the soldier's chest to be able to protect their vital organs. It would be metal, probably kind of shaped as much as possible to the chest of the soldier. But in, in our day and age, we would call this a bulletproof vest, right, or body armor uh, that a soldier would wear or a police officer would put on uh, whenever they got dressed in the morning. And so Paul says, have the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means being right with God, in the right relationship with God. Now, how can we be right with God? Well, first of all, we have to come to him and seek that rightness or that relationship. Come to him for a relationship. And the way we do that is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It all begins with belief. And then secondly, we're called to repent. And the word repent means to turn from our self-lived life and commit to following and living and loving Jesus Christ. Thirdly, confess what you believe, that you need Jesus. Confess that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we're baptized for our sins to be forgiven and for us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we are obedient in these ways, that puts us into a right relationship with God. We have entered a relationship that we are right with him. And we've healed the brokenness of our sin. And then we have to maintain or keep that ongoing relationship day in and day out. And that's a lifelong pursuit to stay right with God. To stay right with God. You know, if someone, if you gave your life to Christ in the past, can you, are you still right with God? Are you still in a caring, loving relationship with him? You know, I was just thinking down through the years, I have known, I have met and known, I have even been very good friends with a lot of people. I've been blessed in my ministry. I've served three churches, counting this one. And I have known a lot of people and we have been very, very close. But I think back over time about how the passing of time and distance and space in those relationships without connecting has basically terminated those relationships. People I used to know and be very close to 
Now I don't know them. I really don't know them well. I know who they are, but I don't know them really. And you know, a lot of people are like that with God. Time and distance and space have happened, and now it'd be a stretch to say that they are right with God because they're not really with God. They've, they've left God. They have, have a relationship with Christ. And so the breastplate of righteousness means making sure that you're right with God and that you're in a growing relationship with Jesus. It's the only way to be protected, to be updated, to have your protection updated like is required in a relationship. So you're close to God right now. You're right with him. Thirdly, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. You know, good footwear was important for a soldier in that day. The Roman soldiers would wear a laced up sandal. You've probably seen pictures that, um, that had um, big lugs on the back. They would provide support and traction for long distant marches and combat. And then think about what our soldiers wear in combat today. You've probably seen combat boots that have the big lugs, and they also are laced up well past the ankle, right? Just for support to help them be able to get traction and to march long distances. Their footwear would take them where they needed to go and would give them a sure foundation. And so we need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel peace, Paul says. The word gospel means good news. We hear that all the time, right? And the good news is that Jesus loved our broken world, including each and every one of us so much that he came here to this earth to die for us. That he died for our sins. That's the good news, that we could be forgiven and be in a relationship with him. And the good news is that death isn't the final state of a Christian. Heaven is. Heaven is what we long for, and we have that promise through the gospel of the good news. Did you notice in our reading of Ephesians chapter 6 how, how much emphasis put on standing? Probably didn't notice that when we went through. But Paul says things like this, suit up so you may stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then he says, stand firm in that. Standing is critical to living the Christian life, you know? A warrior can't fight laying down or on his knees. He fights standing up, right? And so we have to stand, and we have to stand firm. It's crucial to our living the Christian life. Standing for what you believe, standing your ground, standing firm, standing on the gospel is what it says. And not just standing, but going where God calls us to go, and then being ready to turn the gospel over to others, and being able to run to others with the good news of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says, blessed are those who, who run with the gospel and carry the gospel to other people. And the gospel also allows us to stamp out the lies of Satan. With a good stomp, we can sometimes kick Satan right where he needs it. You know, everyone to give him a good swift kick in the behind, you know, because of what he's doing, how he's hurting people, just want to kick him. The gospel can do that. And the Bible says that one day the gospel will send him head over heels into hell. And then the fourth element is the shield of faith. And that day they protected their entire body with a large shield, about four foot high and two and a half foot wide. I think about this when I see um, police today in a um, formation like a mob formation. They have these big shields they'll put out to protect themselves from thrown rocks or glass or whatever it might be. And then they can put them all together collectively to make a solid wall. Something like that. They were sturdy in that day, made with a couple layers of board. They were glued together, covered in cloth. They were wrapped in leather, and they were bound with metal on top and bottom. And oftentimes, if they were going to battle, when people would be shooting those uh, flaming arrows, they would soak them in water. So when the arrow hit, they would 
they would extinguish the, the flaming arrow. Paul talks about the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the reality is that you're going to be attacked by Satan, and it's going to be more than you can take alone. More than you can take alone. You need protection and, uh, and cover when you're under attack. A soldier in that day could literally hide behind their shield with it taking all the punishment. And then when the enemy was out of arrows or spears, then they could advance. They could attack. Sometimes you just have to stand and wait. And faith helps you do that. Faith is what covers us, is what protects us. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways that we can be attacked spiritually. We can be attacked in our physical health and our finances and our relationships and our hurts and our fears and our spiritual doubt. I mean, Satan knows all those things. He knows what you're most vulnerable for. And he is relentless in attacking us. And only faith, faith is the only thing that can protect us from those attacks. Because faith is having confidence that God is going to care for us. We believe, we trust, we count on him, we hide behind him. Nothing wrong with that. In our time of need, we hide in God. And then the fifth element is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Helmets in that day were oftentimes made of leather or medical or metal, excuse me, and they were critical in the war. One blow to the head and you were dead or out of the battle. Your head is your most vulnerable part of your body in many cases. So as Christians, we need the helmet of salvation. Now, what does that mean? I think this means that this is the knowledge and the confidence and the assurance of our position and place in Christ. We need to know who we are. The Bible says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. It's important that we know who we are, that we're right with him, and that he's in the battle with us. And when you have on this helmet of salvation, you live and breathe as someone who knows that your life is his, his, his hands, and that even if something happens to you, you're going to be fine. You have this peace. You have this confidence in your mind. Paul wrote this in Romans 8. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. I mean, those are some amazing promises that we can live with, that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. Me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When you know these things, you're not afraid. And when you're not afraid, you're dangerous on the battlefield. When you have confidence, that's when you can actually accomplish something greater for God. You're not trying to save your life. You're trying to spend your life. You're trying to give your life. You only have one life to live, and you're going to give it to the cause of Christ. You're going to be a Christian soldier and you're going to have that peace and that confidence because you have the helmet of salvation. And then the last item that he lists here is the sword of the Spirit. Now, if you look at all these different weapons, all the other armor is for defense, but the sword is for offense. And remember, the best defense is a good offense. The word used here is a fighting dagger for those hand-to-hand -hand close battle combat. And your sword is the Spirit of God. The Spirit, of, excuse me, the Word of God. It's all that you need. In other scripture, it says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's able to pierce dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Word of God pierces into our heart, but it also pierces in the heart of other people as well. And it also fights off the enemy too. Have you ever wondered why the Bible is so attacked? 
and the Bible's so minimized in our world today, why do, why do people care about um, trying to minimize the Bible? Why do people care about try to, trying to say the Bible isn't true? It's because the Bible's so lethal. It's because the Bible's so powerful. It's because the Bible stood the test of time. Have you ever watched a sword fight uh, and then seen a sword break in the conflict? When that happens, the fight's basically over, right? So if the enemy could ever destroy the power and the authority and credibility of the, of the Bible, then he would win, but he's not going to. He never has and never will. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's unbreakable, and it can strike down every argument, destroy false thinking, demolish strongholds, and change lives. That's why it's so powerful. That's why Satan hates the Word of God. And that's why he trembles when we come against him with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So those things that Paul lists, there's our armor that we put on. God has given us this amazing um, collection of his power, his strength to resist and also to go against Satan. Every piece is designed to equip us and prepare us not only to be protected, but to advance the gospel too. But you know what? It doesn't help us at all if we don't put it on. If we don't put it on, if the soldier went into battle without his, his uh, armor, without his weapon, he would be defenseless. And that's how we are sometimes. And so we have to make sure that we buckle the belt of truth, that we strap on the blessed breastplate of righteousness, that we put our feet with the gospel of peace, we take up the shield of faith, we put on the helmet of the salvation, and we carry the sword of the Spirit. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God and don't leave home without it. I think that's the best first step of being weaponized. It's being able to protect and prepare yourself, and you have to choose to do it. You have to choose to do it. You have to prepare yourself for the battle because I promise you, the battle will come to you every day. And if you don't understand that and experience the battle, it may be that you're already defeated. And that's a horrible place to be. The battle ranges from simple temptation that we all experience to blatant sin, a defiant spirit, dabbling in witchcraft that I mentioned a few moments ago. Sometimes we put ourselves in just dangerous places, places we should never be because we don't have the power to resist and overcome those strikes by ourselves. Well, let me leave you with one more thought. And that's the verse that comes right after the armor of God. So he's listed all these things that we are to, to put on and to be protected against Satan and to fight against Satan. And then he says these words, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, without doubt, prayer is one of the most effective weapons that we have. It's also probably one of the most neglected weapons that we have. It costs us nothing. And as a believer, we have a, an advocate with the Father. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus that are taking our prayers to the Father. We have all this available to us. And many times we are outgunned and we're overcome because we're not prepared. So Paul says, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray in the Spirit, and He will help you overcome all of the oppositions and all the struggles that you have. It also says that we should pray for one another. We should pray for one another. You know, and that's something that we as a church really believe in. You know, every Sunday morning uh, before we go into service, we have a, a group of us who gather to pray. We pray for you. We pray for everything that goes on this, uh, during the service, during the day. And you're welcome to join us if you want to come and do that. But it's important 
that we pray for one another. And one of the things that we try to do also is just open up this front for people who might want to come up and pray. If you want to come to the, the benches and pray or you want to have one of us pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. Uh, Tony and I will be up here. We'll be available. We'd love to pray with you, whatever the battle you may be. Or maybe you want to pray for someone else, someone in your family that you care about. Or perhaps you just want to come up and just spend some time in prayer as well. There's nothing like prayer to arm you and prepare you and protect you as well as others in the battle.